Um, all right, good morning. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started. <coughs> uh, if you're here for Sunday school, we uh, invite you to come back into the sanctuary, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, so we are um, in, our, in Lesson 7 in our foundation series. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that what we've been trying to answer is the big question. Uh, should we slide two? We, is what we always start, we start every week. Um, because we say, well, what is the question that we're trying to answer in our, uh, in our fourth uh, foundations class? Um, and it's this question, what, how do we as Christians relate to the world? Um, if, we are, if we are to live faithfully um, to our God, uh, we, it's, a, it's a question we all have to um, answer. And we say that as part of our, uh, what, what we are trying to do is, we, the way that we have structured this is we said we're going to, tr- we, we, we are working hard to sort of develop three tools that can help us do this well. And so the first tool we said was a tool for our identity. We need to be able to discern identity between ourselves as church members and as kingdom citizens. Um, the, the word church actually really means, interestingly enough, it's the, it's the called out ones, right? It's the called out ones. It's the people who have been called out of the world. And yet, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what Jesus actually says is to go into the world. Okay, so where, and in one sense, in, in, in the, the story of the Bible, at least for story for God's people, are those who have been called out of the world, but then are also sent back into the world. Not to be of the world, but to be in it. And so, we are those who are church members, uh, who are also kingdom citizens. Um, we, the, the phrase that we've sort of adopted is that the end of our Christianness is not to be church members. Right? That's not the end of what does it mean to be called a follower of Christ. Uh, if, I've, if I've joined the church, I've done my job. Um, that's not the case. Right? In fact, that is only the beginning. We said that's the, that, to, that the church is the impetus, is the base camp, is the energy for the kingdom. That's what, that's what the church is. Well, the second, the second tool that we were trying to develop and is what we're working on uh, right now is to ask the question, well, once, once we sort of have a, have a good sense about our identity, what, as we look out into the world, what, what is the story of the world? How, how is it, um, what is it that tells us the story why the world is the way that it is? Um, and, we, and that is really the task of developing what we call a biblical worldview. Um, every worldview is a story. It's a story about the world. And the Christians aren't the only ones. All right? Christians aren't the only ones. So, so we said, well, if we, are, if we are to understand what this idea of a worldview, what, how, how is the Christian worldview laid out? Should be the next slide. And so in that, we said there are four chapters to the Christian story. Right? And we said it's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or restoration. All right, and the whole topic of creation, the first chapter in, the, in, in our story is to ask the question, where did this world come from? All right, where, well, how did this whole story begin? And then the second one is, what went wrong? Uh, the world is not as it's supposed to be. What's, what's gone wrong with the world? The third one is, the third chapter is, uh, what has been done to, uh, to mend it? Uh, how can it be mended? How can it be fixed? And then the, third, then the fourth question is, well, where is the world going? Um, right? Where, where, where is this story all going? Um, and maybe next week what we'll do is, well, in two weeks here, what we'll do is we'll try to at least summarize how, how, how some of these other worldviews have answered some of these questions. For example, in the East, 
we, uh, it's a much more of a circular uh, story, right? It's the circle of life. It's things come around, the idea of reincarnation. Things go around and round, okay? The, the Christian view is one that is linear, right? We have a story that begins and it is heading somewhere. Uh, some worldviews don't operate that way, all right, for example. So, we, so but, but what we're focusing on now is the Christian story, which basically is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. As we work through the biblical storyline, we find these themes of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. The Bible begins in Genesis 1 and 2. It ends in Revelation 21 and 22. Right? So we are asking, so we are, and this should be the next slide, is so we, we said that we, we, we looked at, last two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of creation. Well, how did the story begin? And when we said that, when we, we, that we actually came to a few conclusions, right? We said that this world is not about us. It is for God. When we talk about the fact that everything is there to reflect God's glory, Colossians 1 tells us that it is created by him, I Christ, and for him. Okay? So, in some sense, we are not the end, even though we are significant, those who, who, those who bear God's image. At the end of the day, the world, the, this world was created by God and for himself. Okay? And when we use the term creation, we actually are not only talking about the origin question, which is often where whenever, whenever this whole worldview discussion comes about, it always becomes an origins question. It is part of the story, but it is not the only thing. All right? So it's not only about the creation evolution debate, for example. Uh, people who want to say that this world did not have a creator, did not have a designer. Um, and, we, and, and there are those who hold to such a view of the world. Um, and so very often, of course, in, the, in sort of the, the, you know, the grand stages of apologetics, for example, there's many debates that happen uh, along these two ideas, right? People, young earth and old earth, creation, evolution, this, this. And, and, you know, and, and, and those are good, those are not, not bad, but a lot of times uh, we, we, we kind of then think, well, this whole world we think is not uh, for people like me. And so I think it's good for us to also think about it, not only in terms of the origin question, and secondly, not only in terms of um, this idea of appreciation. Uh, a lot of times when we pray, we thank the Lord for the day. We go out and we see the sunshine, or we see a beautiful vista. We go to the Grand Canyon, or we go to these uh, places, and we say, wow, God, thank you for this creation. And, and that's a good thing, right? We, we behold what God has made, and we thank him for it. And that is also a good, good, good thing, but that is not the end of this idea of thinking about creation as the start of the chapter. The third thing to think about in terms of whenever we use the term creation is we are also saying that in some ways the, that, that this creation that we have began as something that is good, that is true, that is beautiful. The story of the world did didn't begin with the fall. It didn't begin with badness. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, ours is a, is a good creation that has gone bad. It didn't begin with a bad creation. All right? It didn't begin with something that was bad. It began with something that was good. Right? And what we mean by that is that, and this is really important when we start talking about redemption, is that what we are trying 
to do in the, in the task of re redemption is to restore back to the good creation. The phrase that I want to leave with you all today is that grace restores nature. Grace restores nature. It brings us back to what we were created to be. Right? We were created, and this is not only for ourselves, but in everything around us. If we say, if we are those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, we have been restored to what we were supposed to be, to worship God, to live in obedience to him, because that is the blessed life. The life of blessing that God gives Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 28, 31, is one that is characterized by worship and obedience. That is what we were created for. Right? We were never created to be on our own. We were always meant to live with God as, our, as the source of our joy and the law as the best way to live. All right? And so, this, and so whenever we talk about this idea of redemption and restoration, it is a recovery. It is a going back. It is recovering what was there all along, what we were created to be to live according to the manufacturer's design, if you will, okay? But that's the first chapter of the story, right? We know that the story didn't stay there in this, in this idea of what we have in Genesis 1 and 2. The next slide we have is the idea that something went wrong. It's what we looked at last week. The Bible calls it the fall, and that's re it's recorded for us in Genesis 3. And that story is it's not just Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve sin brought the world, the, the cosmos, the universe, all to the sub, in, in, into, into sin, right? And when the Bible talks about it, that sin comes to Adam, it comes to all men, right? In some sense, everything is infected by it, right? And the two, the two twin things that we, can, that, that we see in, in Genesis 3 is that sin brings us into a state of slavery, and it brings us into a state of condemnation. Slavery, right, is not only that Adam sinned and messed things up. The Bible says we sinned in Adam. Adam's rebellion is our rebellion. We don't just live with the effects of it. We also live with Adam's guilt. We are, like Adam and Eve were condemned, we are condemned. That's the story. All right, and so the result of it is that we need to be set free if we're enslaved. And if we are under condemnation, we need to be forgiven, right? And so, but if, if that is all the end of that story, then that is the state that we're in. Some, some years ago, I remember talking to a, um, it's interesting um, how a lot of this creation, fall, redemption, there's a book uh, written some years ago by, uh, by a missionary named Don Richardson. I think the title of the book is called Eternity in, Your, Eternity in Their Hearts. It's, a, it's been around for a long time, but what, one thing that Don Richardson does is he goes and he picks up all of these stories across different, different cultures across the world. Um, and it's interesting how each of these stories has these little nuggets of where, and we would say how God has really revealed himself. Right? And it's, and it's quite amazing. But I, I remember speaking to this... Um, this, this missionary uh, who, was in, who, who served in Cameroon um, in West Africa for many years. 
And remember him telling me about this story, like, and whenever he was talking to uh, this sort of this group, this tribal group in, in Cameroon, and finding out their, their mythology, right, their story. What is the story of their people? And it's interesting, in their story, they believe in a God who created the world. They have, they, they have that story. They even have the story of that something went bad. And that's it. Right? That's the end of their story. Right? In, in, in other words, God created the world, men messed it up, God left. Right? And, 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 so that, and so essentially what they were left with, the messy world that they were left with is, they were left with a world that they had to fend for themselves. Right? <laughs> right? You messed it up, you, you deal with it. You, you deal with it. Right? That was their story. And so, and so, what, and so it's amazing, right? Because you're like, and, and, that, and this is what this missionary was saying. He's saying like, it's like, isn't that amazing that God, God, God sent me there? Right? God sent me there to say, that's not the end of the story. Right? That's more of the story. And so, and so essentially it was ready made. Right? It was ripe for the good news, which is what we are talking about today, right? The third chapter in the story is a story what we call redemption, all right? It's the idea of redemption. And, we, and, and this is a theme that you are going to see all through Scripture. So there's a couple of words, and so on this slide, the word that I want to introduce you to is the word ransom, right? The word ransom. So the Bible talks about this in terms of when, when what Christ came to do was he came to be a ransom. Matthew 20, 28, I have the verse reference there. It says that, that, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? And the word, this idea of ransom has to do with the idea that, that, that there had to be a price paid. Right? In some sense, when you, see, when you use that word, you're saying, what, what does it cost? Right? But it also says something about the fact that what you are ransoming is something that is enslaved, something that needs to be bought back. The Old Testament picture, of course, is this idea of the Exodus, right? If you know the story of the Old Testament, the idea that people, when, 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 God, when God sends Moses into Egypt to confront Pharaoh, the plagues, that they were people who were in slavery, in bondage in Egypt. And that God, when God rescues them, you know, you know the story of the, how the angel of death and, there was a, and, and how the, the killing of the firstborn, right? This idea that the, that, that, that the blood that was put on the, door, on, the, on the doorposts, that that was the basis, death was the basis of their slavery, of, of, their, of their rescue out of slavery. Without death, there was no, there would have been no payment. The payment was a form of death, right? The, the firstborn of the Egyptians died, and then you have, of course, the blood of the animal that kept the, that, that kept the angel of death from the household of the Israelites. So the Bible's image always, when you think about this idea of ransom, is that Christ Jesus came to pay something. Is what we always, whenever we talk about the idea of payment, when we say Jesus paid for my sin, you are using the language of ransom, okay? And so this, and, and so this theme of, 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 of this is, John Murray in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he says, look, there are three aspects to this, right? That what Christ, Christ did was he came to be a ransom, a form of payment, all right, in order to set us free, all right? Thirdly, that one was substitutionary in nature, 
Okay, Christ actually steps into the place he becomes enslaved in order to free the slave. Christ steps into the place of the sinner in order to rescue us from sin. Okay, so this image of substitution is really big, is really important for how we understand this idea of redemption. The Bible talks about the fact that when Jesus steps into humanity, he steps into our place. Okay, so how to think about this? Now, it's, in, it's this idea of um, how this theme shows up, this idea of substitution. Um, it's, it's interesting how it shows up a lot in our um, in, in culture, right? In movies and in, um, in books, all right? So, uh, the Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, you're probably, if you're familiar with that, right? You have this idea of substitution, right? How one gives up his life in order for someone else to be free, right? There's a movie a few years ago. Look at me, I'm coming about pop culture. Where's Les? I need to get some points for this. All right, so the mo mo movie, me, uh, movie Man on Fire. Anybody remember this movie, this Denzel, Denzel Washington movie? Pretty violent movie, so, but we're a group of adults. Um, uh, but if, if you are, you know, that, that movie has that idea of there's this ransom and he substitutes himself. And, um, and so what's... And, and we would say that when you see these themes, right, these sort of mirrors or these sort of pictures around us in books and all that, often those are good stories, right? In fact, we, we, we can always say that a lot of the, 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 the best stories that we have, the best tales that we tell are often redemptive tales, redemptive stories. And that is not an accident. All right, because what we would say is that all of these stories are getting at, they're approximating, they are giving us a sample of the true redemptive tale, the true redemption story, all right? And so in, in, in some sense, when we see these things, they kind of give us sort of an echo, uh, uh, just, a, just, a small, uh, just a small sample, and ask the question, why are we attracted to these stories, right? What, what about them intrigues us, warms us, um, it, 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 it does something for us, all right? Now, they're not the real story, but they kind of help point us in that direction, okay? And so when we, say, when we see these stories, these are stories where there is a ransom that needs to be paid, and we would say that Christ is the one who does that, all right? Christ is the one. So ultimately, his death on the cross is the price paid, right? And not only that he did, did, did he, pray, he paid that price on the cross, he also substitutes himself. He puts himself in our place. He dies a death that I should have died. He bears the guilt that is my guilt. He goes into slavery so I can be free. Everything that is mine because of Adam is Christ's, and because of that, I am free in Christ. I have been set free, I have been forgiven, all of those things that are part of who Jesus is, is now mine, okay? So, I have God's favor, okay? So, that, that, is, that is sort of the, 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 the point in history when we talk about this. All right, so, what does all this have to do with when we talk about for us to think redemptively? And this should be the next slide, okay? When, and there's a lot of things that we can say about it, but let me, let me just give you three things, 
Okay, when we start thinking about, well, what does this, how does this translate for us to live and to think redemptively today in the world? Okay, if, if that is one, remember we're trying to develop our worldview tool, and if, the, and if we are to mirror our lives after the big story, the creation, fall, redemption story, right? If I'm, if I'm to think creationally, that we begin with a good world, if I'm to think in terms of to take sin seriously, right? I cannot make light of it, right? Sin's effects, so what sin has done is pervasive. We know that, so we need to take that seriously. But then we also take what Christ has done also seriously. What, how do we take redemption seriously? So let's just say three things here, all right? So the first one is this idea of that when we think about what Christ has done, we cannot separate it from the fact that what he did was incarnational, right? Christ steps into the midst of the world. If you remember when we started talking about this, one of the reasons why we don't just uh, give up on things, why we don't live up on things, is because we have a God who did not give up on this world, right? God, if, 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 if the story of the world is only creation fall and then God left, like this Cameroonian tribe, then, then, then it's fine. But we know that is not what happened, right? We have a God who actually not only saved us from afar, he stepped right into the midst of it. And so this idea of incarnational, right, the word incarnate, carne actually means flesh, physical, um, is actually part of what does it mean to, to be spiritual. To be spiritual is to care for this world. Because God did not abandon it, neither should we. All right? And so um, in the first century, there was a, there was a, uh, there was a, a, a teaching called Gnosticism, which is this idea that, that what, what everybody needed was sort of this spiritual knowledge and they were being called out into sort of these communities and where they were sort of being taught to be more spiritual, um, which is exactly the opposite of, of this idea of incarnation. Because when Jesus came, John 1.14 says that when, when, when we have that he, that he took on flesh, right? He says, and we have seen his glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right? Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message, that's not a lot about the message, but, but I love it when he says this, right? He says, he says, and he moved into the neighborhood, right? This is what Eugene Peterson says, right? When he, talk, when he, talk about, when, when he says he, when he took on flesh and dwelt among us, is he moved into the neighborhood, right? That he actually stepped into the messy, rotten world that we live in, all right? He stepped into that, all right? And so for us to say that what does it mean to, to be redemptive is to remain, to strive, to not abandon the world that God has given, okay? Wherever we are. Second, okay? Second is to say that we are, that what God has accomplished is universal in scope in what Christ has done. Okay, when, when, when God enacted the plan to rescue, it was not to get on the spaceship so that one day we will go, you know, by and by. Right, I know some of our songs are like that, so, you know. But, right, but in other words, it's not like God comes, 
so that we can get off this, this, this rock that is, that is about to, you know, go off, right, or something, right? This idea that somehow everything is going to be destroyed and we just need to get off this. So get off the, get, get off the, the bad world into the nice, safe, happy heaven, all right? Um, that is not what God enacted in Christ, all right? Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 all right, says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses in accordance with our riches of his, God, of his grace. And then he goes on to say, why did he do this? He says to unite all things in heaven and on earth. Okay, not to get us out of earth into heaven. God's plans for his redemptive plan is way bigger than just getting you and me saved. Okay? Getting you and me saved is only the starting point. Okay? Remember, it's, that's church, right? That's this idea of being called out of the world, but then we are being sent back into the world. So a good question to ask is, what spheres of influence has God given me where I am right now? All right? And, 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 and every place, there is work to be done, whether in the home, whether in the work, whether, whether in our workplaces, in every relationship, every sphere, every place where God has places, wherever we have influence, are places that are, that are part of what we give ourselves to in some redemptive work. Now, I like the phrase spheres of influence because a lot of times we find ourselves, I'm going to say this in a way, like we, I think we find ourselves being really concerned about things that are outside of our spheres and ignoring the places that we're actually at. Okay? So, you know, politics is, of course, an easy one, right? We care a lot about what's happening in, in D.C., all right? And we, 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 we don't pay a lot of attention to what may be happening in our own community, for example. All right? We, we care about the big things, um, and we forget about um, the people that God has given us in our homes. Um, and so, in some sense, what we are saying is, God has sent us, God has already sent us into those places, right? The question then is, what are those places, right? And if we ask that question, then whatever sphere that God has placed us in, there is work to be done. All right? There is work to be done. Okay? So, what, so when we, so I'm running out of time here. So, so this idea of how to think about it that, it, that it's cosmic, that it's universal, it's incarnational, right? It is exactly where we are. All of that just simply means that whatever God has intended for us to do is right where we are. That is another thing redemptively. All right, let me, let me move on to the next slide here. So let me give you two things that I think is good for us as a warning as to what redemption is not. All right, and yesterday and, and last week when Les asked, Les asked this question about Christian music, for example, all right? A lot of times when we think to act redemptively, we often think it is, it is more like this idea of consecrating something rather than sanctifying everything. All right, so um, for example, if, if you are an artist, in order to think redemptively, it doesn't mean that you start doing Christian art, right? Bible verses, right? And those sort of things. Now, that not, there's nothing wrong with that, 
All right? I'm not saying that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of what we would consider art that would, be, that would be good. Or when you think about, say, if I want to make music, the only music, that, the only lyrics I can write are lyrics that have Jesus, God, Bible, you know, right? You know, God, the whole, you know, God is my girlfriend kind of songs, right? So you, if, you, if, if, that is, if that is the type of songs that, that you think, then, you know, that, there might be a place for that, but that is not what we mean by redemptive, okay? Redemptive doesn't mean setting apart something. That's not, that's not a bad thing, right? We have things that we dedicate and give over to the Lord, and that's a good thing. That is, that, that, that is part of Christian living. But when we think about redemption, we are thinking of sanctifying something. We are, we are looking at the effects of sin, what sin has done. And we are pushing back against that. All right, Romans 12, 14 says to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Okay, and that is in every place. Not because we are good, but because we have a good God who has given us a good world. It might be distorted, it might be twisted, it might be covered over, but when we push against sin in those spaces, we are doing redemptive work, all right? The second thing is to think about it is, is, to, is, is not to tear down in order to build up, all right? This, the, the, when we think about redemption, it is to, to redeem is to return. It's this idea of salvaging something. It's about recovering something, about restoring to what, is, what was originally there all along, right? What is originally there all along, right? When we talk about what people do to themselves, what we are trying to do in order when we help them is to restore them in the, to, to, so that they, might, they can see themselves as God sees them, made in his image, okay? And so what we do is we work in progressive ways. I'm not talking about, you know, as soon as you see the progressive, you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. I'm not thinking about that, all right? This idea of progressing is this idea of that we are moving constantly, slowly, sometimes painfully, right? but always heading towards this idea of recovering something, renewing something. It is much easier to tear down, to build up, and, and then to build up, right? A lot, of our, a lot of the revolutions that have been fought have been fought that way, right? And most of them, not very good, right? Story's not good. So, um, you know, that, that, that in some ways is a lesson for us, right? But the way that what, what God has done, God has done the work, right? Redeeming work is done. It is finished, right? The decisive work has been done and not by you or me, okay? We live in the light of what Christ has done and what Christ has done has he has done the brunt of the work, right? All we do is we, we run in the train of his victory, right? While it might not be easy, and while sometimes we feel like we're losing ground, it doesn't mean that we just throw up and say, man, we just want to burn this whole thing down, and then we'll just start, start again. God didn't do that, right? The story of the Bible is a, is, is a world that went bad, and God determined to save it, to rescue it, to salvage it, 
at the cost of his own son. Okay? So if we take that as sort of our blueprint, then our work of redemption is always going to be work that is progressively renewing something, recovering something, and seeking ways to push against sin wherever we find it, whether it's in our hearts, whether it's in our churches, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our town, wherever we may find it. Okay? All right. I don't know if I left any time for questions, but let's... If I, if, 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 if I made you mad, you can speak. It's fine. I would, I would like to know. If I made you happy, you can say it too. I don't know. So, um. Any questions or comments? Anything, anything else that I want? Do you, you want to add to any of this? Yeah, so, um, so Errol's question was, is, uh, is, is, is the question, well, what work will there be to do in the new heavens and the new earth? Will there be work to do in the new heavens and the new earth? And the answer is, I think, is yes. Right? I mean, the, the story of the Bible begins in a garden. But what is the image that we have at the end of the Bible? A garden, but what's, what's around it? It's a city. Right? It's a city. So, right? so in other words, we talk about the story of the Bible is that you are moving from a garden to a city. Right? Why? Why is it not a return back to Eden? Right? Um, it's interesting, right? The, in the, in the, I don't have time here, but the, the, in the Muslim story, in the Islamic sort of worldview, you go back to a garden. Right? Where you have, you know, where you're sitting, eating you know, dates off palms, and, you know, it's a Middle Eastern story, right? So, you know, so you have, you know, it's, it's that, right? Where everybody sort of, this, the idea of bliss, right? And the Bible story is, there is a world that is without, right? No cry, right? No more crying, no more pain, all of those things, in the absence of all of those things. And yet, the word, the phrase that comes out is, I am making all things new. Are we part of that? In making all things new? Yes. Right? Yes. Right? But to do it without the effects of sin. How great would that be? Right? Work that is not frustrating. Right? We, we can't even imagine that. Right? It's, it's hard for us to even think what that would be like. Right? Because you're like, my work is frustration. Right? So, but imagine that. Right? Imagine all of the things that you engage in now without the effects of sin. All right? And I think that is what we are, uh, that is what it would be like. All right? It is not just sort of you, you and I sitting around trying to wonder what's, well, I got nothing to do. Right? That is not the Bible story. All right? That is not the Bible story. That, that's, a great, that's a great question. All right, let me, uh, let me close. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for our time together. And Lord, even as we... Um, and as we learn to, uh, what does it mean to think and act redemptively in the world, Lord, we, uh, Lord it's not easy. Um, and yet, um, we know that um, when you came, you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life. And so a lot of what we would endure right now, Lord, is, um, is of suffering and service, which, which we would rather not have. Um, and yet, Lord, we, we ask for grace to live like our Savior, 
and, and not only to live like our Savior, but live because of him, um, because, uh, because of what you have done uh, for us. Uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.